Hello and welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 10th of September 2019. Mark Pender is across the pond stateside and I'm Jeremy Hawkins here in London. So it's another big week for investors with uh, the ECB, Fed, BOJ, SNB and the BOE all due to make policy announcements between now and next Thursday. And in most cases, financial markets are optimistic about the prospects of another round of rate cuts. Just last Friday, the People's Bank of China got the ball rolling with a 50 basis point cut in all banks reserve ratios with an additional 100 basis point reduction for qualified city commercial banks. This week sits the turn of the ECB which on Thursday is widely expected to deliver its latest attempt to boost the still flagging eurozone economy and push stubbornly soft core inflation up towards the 2% mark. Speculation has been intense since the July meeting, which seemed to all but guarantee that another ease was on the way. And since we'll, uh, we'll also get updated ECB forecasts, Thursday really provides just about the perfect opportunity for any such move. So what's expected? Well, I guess generally it's been assumed that it will be a package rather than a single measure. Interest rates, well, it looks as if there won't be any change in the uh, current zero benchmark refi rate. It's certainly a possibility, but the ECME has, be, um, has made loud noises in the past to the effect that it doesn't really want to put its benchmark rate into negative territory. Much more likely then is going to be a cut in the deposit rate. That currently stands at minus 0.4%. It's essentially supposed to put the floor to money market rates. Now, this is a rate normally received by commercial banks for holding excess reserves at the ECB. However, since uh, June 2014, it's been negative, meaning essentially that banks are paying for the privilege of parking their funds at the central bank itself. And because there's now so much liquidity sloshing around the system, quant quant um, courtesy of all the previous quantitative easing, the deposit rate has effectively been setting the Eonia rate, that is the unsecured overnight interbank lending rate. So clearly what happens to the deposit rate is going to be instrumental in terms of how markets react. Now markets then are looking for probably a cut of 10, possibly 20 basis points. So that would put the deposit rate at either minus 0.5% or minus 0.6%. Problem being with this, of course, that it would add to the bank's costs and hit their profitability unless the banks themselves can pass it on to their customers in terms of negative retail deposit rates. And so far, they've been extremely low to do that for fear of losing out to the competition. So, so far, really, that hasn't happened. So to offset some of the potential damage to banks' balance sheets, it's quite possible we'll get some kind of a tiered structure on the deposit rate, which effectively would mean that some of those excess reserves would be excluded from having to pay the deposit rate. Aside from that, um, I think most people are probably looking for some kind of return to quantitative easing. Uh, now, this, for people who remember, was last set before it was phased out at 15 billion euros a month of net asset purchases. That ran from October to December last year before it finally ended. Um, I think, you know, for it to come back again, well, it's clearly anything less than 15 billion, I think, would really be taken as, well, what's the point of doing it in the first place? And I guess that markets would be looking for something of at least roundabout the 25 billion a month or so, or at least something of that kind of um, that kind of magnitude. Hand in hand with that, well, of course, the ECB does like playing around with what it tries to 
tell markets about the way interest rates are going to move. It does act by its so-called forward guidance. Last time round, it uh, amended its guidance to introduce the idea that it wouldn't necessarily just be the case of interest rates remaining at low levels, but introduce a possibility of them actually going down further as well, which is one reason why there is still some speculation that the refi rate itself could be cut. But in any event, chances are that it will be modified to accommodate what will or probably will be a lower structure to the general nexus of interest rates. And also, they could well choose to extend the duration over which they expect interest rates to main to remain low. And were they to do that, that should be good news as far as the longer end of the bond curves concerned, even though potentially the euro wouldn't like it very much. And rounding off on this little set, probably the other thing they could do, which might be relatively small but still a possibility, is make some minor adjustments to the terms of their existing targeted longer-term repurchasing operations, so-called teltros. They may want to play around with some of the rates on those just to offer a slightly cheaper borrowing opportunity as far as the, uh, the borrowers themselves are concerned. So all in all, I think the markets are certainly looking for some kind of fairly respectable package. Um, the question mark now, I think, really being is just uh, how aggressive will this package be? Um, over the course of, what, the last couple of weeks or so, we've had some, it's hard to say, good numbers coming out of the Eurozone because by and large, they're still very disappointing. But we've seen the likes of slightly stronger purchasing managers surveys. We saw a small pickup in the Economic Sentiment Index, all of which the, um, the ECB follows quite closely. Now, that's led to some of the more hawkish members on the council, so particularly the likes of the central bank members from uh, the Bundesbank, from the Austrian Central Bank, uh, the Dutch Central Bank, as well, to really start questioning whether there's any value or any need to actually come out and ease policy any further anyway. So to some extent, I think we have seen financial markets, at least the speculation, just begin to backtrack a little bit. All that said, when you look at the broader picture of the Eurozone economy, it is still struggling. The economy is growing at around about 0.2% a quarter or so, something like that. It's showing no clear sign of any pickup in the third quarter. Core inflation, crucially, has been stuck around this 1% type mark for the best part of, what, a couple of years or so now. So in other words, I think you know, the bottom line to all this little lot is that policy as it's currently pitched simply is not doing what it's supposed to be doing. So we don't see some kind of at least reasonably significant easing package on Thursday. I think uh, financial markets across the Eurozone are really going to be very disappointed. Okay, um, that's probably enough for me on the Eurozone. Let's pop across the uh, the pond now to Mr. Pender, who can give us thoughts on um, non-farm payrolls and associated bits and pieces from the employment data. Any implications for the Fed next week? Uh, hang on a second. I'm getting uh, calling that up on my account day calendar here. Uh, and um, let me just get this. It was a um, it was a solid report. Uh, and uh, even though it didn't quite meet expectations at 130,000 non-farm payroll growth, um, there was definitely a sign of uh, wage inflation with a 0.4 percent. Uh, monthly rise, uh, that's a little bit hot, and it follows a 0.3% in um, in the prior month. And also, uh, uh, we had a rise in the participation rate. And this morning, we had the JOLTS report, which had job openings. And those are very interesting. They have uh, very 
uh, definitely have um, peaked uh, earlier in the year and are coming back down. Um, and relative to hires, where that separation was very, very large, that separation is, is much less uh, larger now. So that's really um, a signal or a, a positive for uh, the doves, uh, uh, pointing to uh, less risk of capacity stress uh, in the labor market, even though we did see those average hourly earnings pop up a pop up a little bit on a monthly basis. The year-on-year basis is still below uh, several per, uh, 3.2% in August, still several uh, uh, percentage points below where it peaked in um, the spring. Uh, so I think that it probably, this report probably keeps in line a, um, you know, a 25 basis point uh, cut uh, next week. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the ECB uh, goes. What's in, what seems interesting to me is the backtracking on the ECB, is the backtracking and expectations. Um, you can get a little of this without any, uh, you don't really have to look around often to find a reason. Um, it's just kind of how markets and, and people's perspectives go. Uh, you expect something and then Especially it was the, the last meeting, I think, was in July, right? And so they raised expectations, or yep. expectations at that time were very high, that there would be a, a significant easing. They cleared the way, and uh, we've been uh, looking for this. And now coming up to it, we're scaling back. And uh, you pointed to slowing uh, PMIs and uh, a pickup in the economic sentiment index. Um, and those are, I think, things that the Hawks could grab a hold of. Um, I, I think that uh, you know the general thrust of the global economy. There's no change in the in the risks right now. Ten, trade tensions. I mean, they may not have, have, have been uh, as as high as they were last month, but they're still very high. And and the U.S. and China have just uh, Im imposed uh, a, a new round of tariffs uh, beginning last week. So there's still plenty of risks in it. It's interesting that the ECB is out in front on this, and it'll be you know I, I think the Fed. If they can, because the Fed is under a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of uh, uh, turbulence, and uh, if they can get any kind of cover from the ECB, I think they will uh, much appreciate it. Um, and at least the the Fed has uh, a direction to go on their main uh, interest rate. Still, quite a lot, uh, a couple basis point, a couple um, uh, percentage points. So. Uh, there is still plenty of easing that uh, they could uh, uh, go for if they need to. Um, Jeremy, let me just ask. I mean, do you think that the um, the risk, the word, the talk, the volume of chatter on the word recession has eased in the last couple of weeks? To be honest, well, certainly be to Matt globally now you're talking about for the Eurozone. I'm talking about, well, I'm talking about actually both, but my point is to the Eurozone. Well, let's start with the Eurozone. I think, to be honest, no one's really been too concerned about the idea of an outright recession in the Eurozone. I think it's been more a case of looking across the waters towards somewhere like Japan, uh, you know, where you've had this sluggish, very, very sluggish growth and essentially no inflation for such a long time now. Uh, more and more, the chatter has been that, well, perhaps the Eurozone is starting to fall into a, the same kind of economic model. Now, clearly, were we to get a major hit coming through from world trade or with a big slowdown in the States, then by all means it's certainly possible we could see the eurozone slide into recession but i don't think that talk has really gone anywhere certainly over the, since the last meeting anyway um for the likes of the uk of course um just quickly mention that it's, if anything it's actually gone the other way because we had some surprisingly respectable monthly gdp numbers out of the uk earlier on this week um they showed uh, what gdp real gdp that is for july up 0.3 percent on the month now fair enough their monthly data and they do, they do tend to move 
move about a lot. But that was uh, significantly stronger than the market was expecting and sort of sets a platform for the third quarter, which doesn't rule out a recession because, of course, we saw a, a second quarter contraction over here of 0.2%. But it makes it that much less likely. So I suppose, you know, in, in a nutshell, pulling it all together, have, have the chances of some kind of recession increase, let's say, since we last spoke or certainly since the last ECB meeting. I don't think they really have. But nonetheless, as you were saying, the risks at the moment are still much more geared in sort of that direction than they are towards you know, any kind of reacceleration. And I think on that note, I mean, just, quick, just quickly mention it, um, we have some interesting reports coming out from Germany. At this stage, they're still very tentative. We're not sure just how much weight to put on them. But you know, one aspect I think we can say, as you, you were kind of alluding to, with regards to monetary policy, across Europe, there's not a lot of room left for monetary policy to provide much stimulus to the Eurozone economy or even the UK economy, for that matter. It really needs some help from fiscal policy. Now, it looks as if Germany, which really is you know, the biggest problem for the Eurozone, zone at the moment in terms of you know, a, a, the major economy which is really struggling. We've had some reports there suggesting that the government may be looking into uh, setting up what they call a shadow budget um, under which we'd have these sort of newly created investment agencies which would be allowed to go out and spend and invest, create new infrastructure and break the country's debt break. Now that I mean that under the German constitution, uh, the federal budget deficit is only allowed to be up to 0.35% of GDP. That was brought back in after the, uh, the global financial crisis back in 2009. Now that in itself has always tended you know, to you know, people look at Germany and say, come on, you've got plenty of room to come out and reflate, do something about it. Well, it's been the case that this uh, debt break has really tended to do as exactly as it says. It's acted as a break on allowing them to do that to get growth going again. But if it really is the case that they're setting up this so-called shadow budget, these um, institutions would be essentially off the balance sheet. So they would have then much more leeway to come out and effectively ignore the debt break and actually start to fiscally stimulate Germany rather than simply relying upon the likes of the ECB to try and do whatever they can do with quantitative easing or um, you know, some kind of minor move on interest rates, which to be honest, I can't Jeremy? see doing much. Yeah. But isn't the German um, domestic economy doing pretty well? And wouldn't uh, domestic or wouldn't fiscal stimulus be centered in the domestic area? How could it really stimulate foreign demand for German exports? Well, Ger German economy, you're right in the sense, I mean, German economy is certainly being hit quite badly um, in terms of the slowdown in GDP. Uh, so in terms of the slowdown in net exports, and in fact, remember rightly, net exports subtracted about half a percentage point of quarterly growth last quarter. But at the same time, the, the domestic components have also been pretty sluggish. So for example, second quarter private consumption was up just 0.1%. Um, fixed investment um, was actually down 0.1%. And so domestic demand mainly came out of, um, well, partly of a stock building, but mainly came out of government spending. So Germany at the moment is going through kind of a, you know, a sluggish period, not completely across the board because services are kind of doing okay, but they're slowing as well. Um, but they clearly need something to get this key manufacturing sector going because there have been some sort of signs that you know, what's happening to German manufacturing at the moment is starting to have knock-on effects effects into the key services side as well. So I think Germany, certainly at this stage, um, there's, they kind of acknowledge that they need to do more in terms of infrastructure spending. Um, mm. And it does seem as if it's, say, it's early days yet. I mean, but there's, 
nothing particularly coming out the major leaders of the big parties to you know to suggest that they're they're happy to come out and start spending willy-nilly but the fact it's even getting in the press out there suggests it might be going down that kind of route mm. and, and while while we're on that subject because you mentioned um the um the stability and growth pact that people might have heard of which you know, effectively puts fiscal limits on the eurozone as a whole well there's also been a, an eu commission paper um is underway at the moment i think on reworking those rules um uh, with a view to try and sort of ease some of the excessive deficit procedures um on those economies which have been struggling and in danger of overshooting their fiscal targets you have the likes of italy and so on so you know although it may be early days yet it does seem in the sort of you know, the big picture so to speak of fiscal policy that you know some chinks are starting to appear in those rigorous rules we've seen operating for so long now that might ultimately allow for you know an increase in public sector deficits to to help monetary policy in its bid to you know to get growth going again i have a quick question jeremy you know has there been any um political pressure uh, out of within europe itself on the ecb and of course the contrast here would be with the us but um are there sections are there factions are there countries um one end that you can visibly detect are there any is there anything vocal at all or is everyone minding their manners well i would say it's certainly been ending like as blatant as obviously you've been having on on your side of the water but yes i think you know going into each meeting it's it's normally fairly clear as to you know as, as to which way the wind is blowing so to speak for all the various ecb council members i mean on the the more dovish side you have the likes of mario draghi now clearly he came out of the the bank of italy so you might possibly expect him to lean more towards that side because italy's been struggling with the eurozone for such a long time um also the likes of greece and Spain typically tend to be on the dovish side as well and again although Spain is doing quite well at the moment it's doing well from an extremely low base so unemployment rates are still you know, getting close to 20% or so out there but that's down one end you know go look at the other end for the lights but the clearly the Bundesbank and the Bundesbank um really had no interest in the last round of quantitative easing anyway it's certainly not going to want to see any additional quantitative easing come Thursday that's probably also true of Austria and perhaps the Dutch governments as well um so yes there are there is political pressure but because you've got this diverse range across europe the political pressure isn't all shaped in one kind of direction as you might get you know on on your side coming out of the white house mm-hmm. so you've got some people really leaning yes we think we need more monetary accommodation you've got the more hawkish members who on thursday you can bet your bottom dollar or bottom euro perhaps i should say you'll be saying look we don't think you need to be doing it at this stage we've done enough already Okay, um, what else? I suppose I should quickly mention Brexit before we round this off. Um, right, so UK Parliament now. Um, as of last week, they got uh, the anti-no deal camp got through um, their bill which ostensibly will prevent Boris Johnson from leaving the EU without a no deal however they had still not um, gone along with his call for an early general election essentially because they don't trust what he will do were he able to call one win one and overturn their new law so as things currently stand then Parliament in UK is now suspended for five weeks for the run up to the party conferences and then the Queen's speech which will be when reassembles on October the 14th just 3 days before the EU summit. Um it seems now unlikely that um Johnson will actually be able to be able to extract a, a no deal Brexit. 
um, because it looks like Parliament's done its best to prevent that. However, um, if nothing else, it's not clear at this stage that the rest of the European Union would actually sign off on a Brexit deal extension anyway. The problem being that um, Johnson clearly, well, he's already come out and said he refuses to go to the EU and ask for an extension, despite that is what exactly what's written down in the new law, which has just passed through Parliament. So what he might do, and one of the rumours is that he'll actually go there, present the official paper, which under law he'll have to do, to ask for an extension through to the end of January on the current law. But he will attach his own personal note, which says, I see no point in calling for this extension. There's no point in doing it whatsoever. In which case, what does the EU do? Does it grant an extension on the grounds that something might happen in three months' time? Or does it simply say, well, look, there's no point in offering another extension. No deal's going to happen anyway. So it's still a case, I'm afraid, of watch this space as far as the UK is concerned. Politics will continue to dominate financial market moves in the UK for some little while to come yet. Okay, anything else we should be talking about? Is Brexit going to affect the ECB? Um, it will in the extent that looking at the ECB minutes, um, you're talking earlier about you know global issues and you know we've seen for some while now that most central banks, one of their first comments is about global economic uncertainty and that bearing down on domestic growth. Um, Brexit has had the same sort of impact for the ECB. Um, where they um, published their minutes for a Thursday's meeting or may, maybe in Mario Draghi's um, press speech, he'll be no doubt talking about and at least or touch on you know, the implications of a no-deal Brexit, what that would do for the Eurozone economy, which however bad it's going to be, we don't know, but it would be negative. So yes, it's going to be one of those aspects which you know the um, the more dovish members of the ECB council will refer to when they're, they're trying to get some kind of easing package through is it is it contained in their statements um, they do mention Brexit in their statements on occasions when things are hotting up. So I'll be surprised if Mario Draghi doesn't mention it at some point on Thursday and it will almost certainly appear when we get the minutes out in what you know, six weeks of time or so right. Okay, um, that's probably enough for that. So plenty of central banks coming up. Next week we'll have a perhaps a bit more look at what the Fed might or might not be doing. Um, so if there's a lot going on generally one way or the other. But we'll wrap it up there for today. On behalf of Mark and myself, thanks as always for listening. We'll be back in next week. And in the interim, of course, you can always keep up to date with what's going on in Econoday's global economic calendar. Bye for now. <laughs>